Hello. How are y'all? That's good. That's good. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 9 tonight. You know, that song means a whole lot to Rachel. Uh, and I think camp as a whole means a whole lot to the youth group here. One thing she failed to mention is, I don't think his name is Joseph Habdank. I believe his name, his name is Joseph Habanero Pepper. But she doesn't seem to want to admit that. Anyway, I need to open my Bible. So, I'm a firm believer that the Bible is a comedy. And, uh, uh, this Bible, wait, this book, John, was written by John the Apostle. It's his own account of Jesus' life, making about 90% of the 21 chapters original. And something really interesting, this is not the first book written by a man named John, like I thought. First one was written by John Mark, the author of Mark. Which got me thinking, there are a lot of people named John in the Bible. And my brain really likes to logic stuff out and put stuff together into things in a way that makes it really funny to me. So I find a lot of stuff in the Bible funny, such as the fact that John the Apostle in his gospel starts out with John the Baptist ministry and same with John Mark. And I like to think that all three of them were standing in a circle, and someone said, hey, John, and all three of them turned. Did this happen? Probably not. But it reminded me of when a bunch of men were standing in a circle here, and I yelled, hey, Mike, and about five different people turned. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. Uh, John is the fifth most common name from approximately 330 B.C. to 220 A.D., uh, the most popular was Simon, Joseph, Lazarus, then John. Just thought that was interesting. Uh, uh, and the latest written gospel, being John, also ends in a way that I thought was really funny, if you think about it. See, at the end it says, it says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they would should be written everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written in it. Just thought it really funny that the only reason we want to have more is that there's not enough paper in the world. Like there's just there'd be a production problem with how much stuff Jesus did. Which I think really speaks to his ministry on earth, that he was able to do so much that there just isn't a way possible to write down all the stuff that he did. And we have such a small sample size, but we get so much from this book. Yeah. John chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the days of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, 
which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Siloam is a fun word. just want to point that out. And if I said it wrong, I blame Google, because that's how it told me to say it. Let's pray. Father, we're in heaven, Lord. Thank you for this day, Lord, and thank you for all they've given us. Thank you for allowing us to be able to come here and congregate to worship you once more, Lord. Thank you for Brother Levi's message this morning, Lord. A reminder that we do need to help set up children ministry, Lord, that they are the next generation, Lord, and that you love them as much as you love everyone else. Thank you for the singing tonight, Lord. Thank you for the special, Lord. It was a blessing to me, Lord, and I know it was a blessing to all people here. Please bless the rest of the service, Lord, and bless all those in here, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I find this chapter really funny. Uh, essentially, what you, essentially what happens is a blind man is begging in the streets of Jerusalem, and the disciples question Jesus as to why such a thing should befall a man, the blindness. And Jesus explains that it's not his fault, but that he's put here on earth to be an example of God's power. And then Jesus does the funniest thing I've ever seen in the Bible. He spits on the ground, makes clay, and then he rubs dirt in the guy's eye. Like, which is hilarious when you think about it, because every teacher I've ever had when I've gotten hurt has gone, rub some dirt in it. And he rubs some dirt in his eyes. <laughs> I just find that really funny. And then he heals them through his spit. Dirt doesn't have much to do with it, but since Jesus spit in the ground and made the clay, it had Jesus in it, and he was able to heal the blind man through it. Point number one is, wasn't his fault. My man had no control over the situation he was in. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his parents' fault. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, that he could be an example. He was a living embodiment of the phrase, it's not my fault. And as a teenager who uses that phrase liberally, I can tell you, this man is right. An example, I was playing basketball in gym, uh, and I go up for a rebound because this guy missed real bad. And another guy went up against me. This guy's about seven inches shorter than me. So I get the ball, tuck it way down here, and then I just hear this pop. I have, uh, and then I look down and see that between the ball and my chest is the guy's arm. And then behind me is a man screaming in pain because I just pulled his arm out of socket. I felt like what hot dog water tastes like at that point. Like, I thought I ended this man's whole career. I thought he was never going to be able to do anything again. So we're sitting in the nurse's office. He has an ice pack on his shoulder after getting it popped back in. And he goes, it's not your fault, man. No, it's my fault. I pulled your arm outside. No, that's not your fault. I blew it out playing football. It comes out every couple of days. That freaked me out, though, because I thought I just destroyed this man's arm. But he said, yes, it wasn't my fault, apparently. But it was my fault. See, it was both our faults. His for playing football and getting his arm destroyed, 
and me for literally pulling his arm out of socket. Just pop. Like that thing was four inches. Like he was in pain. You see. But both of these things at play accumulated into a hurt shoulder and some serious pain. Me being the outside factor affecting him and him being him hurting his shoulder. But since it was both of our faults, it ended up becoming no one's fault. I mentioned this because the blind man was not at fault for either. See, we were both at fault. So we were sharing the blame. The blind man could have been mad at the world the entire time. He was born from birth. Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. See, it wasn't the outside factor of his parents affecting him and those consequences, or himself affecting him, because he was blind from birth. See, my body is fine now. After a few minutes, the blind man was not fine after being blind for a few minutes. Uh, the blind man did not deserve what happened to him. He was blind from birth, meaning he never got the chance to choke like the rest of us. See, there's about a 10 second span, I like to think, between someone thinking of something stupid, someone doing something stupid. And I've tested this out several times. But we get the choice to do that in that 10 second span, and we have to deal with the consequences of those actions. He did not. See, the point of his blindness wasn't his decide, rather it was part of a plan enacted by God to help Jesus and show the world that he is the Son of God. And I think this story provides a beautiful example of the fact that we are all essentially made broken, and we need Jesus' help to be made whole, whether it be blindness or anything else. See, back then, well, now we have the technology that would help with your eyes. They can, like, go in and cut your eye open and replace the thing. In front. I don't remember the exact term. I had to watch a video on it in health. It was awful. But uh, back then, they didn't. Back then, they had the great physician. And now, we still have the great physician. And he's still working day and night for the betterment of all of us. Point number two, it was Jesus finding him. See, the blind man wasn't searching for a way out. But Jesus found him anyway. See, when you're blind, and there's no way of becoming unblind, I mean, why would you search? You would just become stagnant and stay there. At this point, I'd like to point out the Bible makes my brain very happy after reading this. I must work the days of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. The Bible just makes my brain happy sometimes. The symmetry, the parallelism, the allegorical concepts in it, that all the prophecies mentions come true, all the callbacks, and none of it conf contradicts each other without an explanation. See? And I mention this because two chapters later, this verse essentially gets explained. In chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? 
If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Man cannot operate without light. For an example, I wake up fairly early in the morning, and I don't turn on the light, and I get ready, which is normally fine, except when I go to the bathroom. And that is a journey and a half getting there. Keep in mind, the bathroom is only about 10 feet away from my room. But I share the hallway with my lovely sister, Rachel Brogan. So between the bathroom and my room, there's always something there. Don't matter what time of the day, doesn't matter if it's pitch black outside, three in the afternoon, there's something in that hallway. And sometimes it's massive. And sometimes it's very tiny. But nine times out of ten, there's a pair of shoes in that hallway. And nine times out of those nine times, I trip over them. So when I trip over them, I always get to see them. Because I just tripped over something at 4.30 in the morning. It's not a good sight, because I want to break the sheetrock on the wall. Because I just tripped and fell and probably hit my head. I hit my head a lot. So I take the shoes in the bathroom, ready to tear them up, rip them half, knife through them, just shred them. And I'll turn on the light, and it's a torn up red pair size 14 sneakers. Now, there is only one person in our house that owns a pair of torn up red size 14 sneakers. And my dad does not. And they are mine. And suddenly, I'm a little less angry at Rachel for some reason. See, I would have taken a different approach if I could have seen that they were my shoes, not Rachel's. But there was no light in the hallway because I don't want to wake my sister up because she's a very light sleeper. Of course, after tripping over the shoes, I want to. But I have to give her a benefit of doubt because nine times out of ten, they're my shoes. See, the Lord works around the clock. So Jesus, being 100% man, needs light to work. But he's also 100% God, so he'll work all the time. And Jesus making everything one million times easier. He becomes the light that he needs. I'm the way, the truth, and the light. which allows me to do the work of the Lord at all times. And at all times, when Jesus is present, God's work is being done. Whether that be out on a job site or at home, if Jesus is with you, you can do the Lord's work. The good thing is, when you're, always, when you're saved, He's always with you, always watching out for you. And since healing this man is part of His work, He does it. Then he spits on the ground and rubs dirt in a blind guy's eye. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just find that funny. <laughs> I find it, like, Jesus heals this man blind from birth. <laughs> Jesus, wonderful, the counselor, the almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one seated on the right hand of God who died on the cross so that all sinners could go to heaven if they accept him rubs dirt in a blind guy's eyes, and it heals him. 
Like he could have snapped. He could have said it or he could have even thought it. No, he just rubs dirt in my guy's eyes. And Jesus heals this man who's blind from birth. And spoiler alert, none of the Pharisees believe him. They interview him as the chapter goes on. They call in his parents because everybody says he was blind and now I can see. And, and with the threat of excommunication, if you admit that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's a prophet, the parents zip their lips and like he's old enough is essentially what they say. Well, that always seems to be how things go. The world can't seem to understand what the Lord has done for you or for me. And point number three, it will be Jesus forgiven us. And I think this is the coolest part of this story. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and we had found him. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. It's so important. He's, the blind man goes, who is he, Lord? Jesus finds this man excommunicated from the church for believing on him. But he couldn't spot Jesus in a crowd. He got excommunicated from this church probably gone to for years on faith alone. And I think that's huge. But he had no clue what he looked like. But he knew this man before man knew something more. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? I just think that's huge. And I think we need to be more like this man. So often we have to just use our vision to try and determine what God wants for us. This man did not. This man basically had his life thrown away because he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't know who he was. Couldn't, had never seen him before. But he knew what God had done for him. What Jesus had done for him. In closing... Sometimes we're blind to the sheer amount of sin we have in our life. I try to actively ask for forgiveness every time I sin, but I don't do it all the time. If you do do it all the time, you'll be in prayer so often that you won't have time to sin because of all the time you'll spend talking to God. Maybe you've never been able to see God's goodness and His grace and His mercy in the first place. Maybe you've never had Jesus wash the blindness in your eyes off and let you see his, see what he's done for you. Today's a good day to do it. It's as simple as the ABCs. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that he died on the cross. And call on his name. Pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this day, Lord, and thank you for all that you've done for me, Lord. Thank you for healing that man all those years ago with an example of what we need to do sometimes, Lord. Sometimes we have that we just can't see, Lord. Sometimes we need your finger just to wipe some on us and 
Clear our minds, Lord. Clear our eyes, Lord. And show us what you would have us to do. Lord, bless everyone in here, Lord. Give them a good week, Lord. Guide them as we walk our separate ways, Lord. Please allow us to meet up here next time, Lord. Place your hand upon us, Lord. Place hedge protection around every single one of these people, Lord. Thank you for us to live in a country that still remains free to this day, Lord. A country that still says, in God we trust on the back of the dollar, Lord. Allowing us to remain faithful to you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen.